Well, it's uh, great to be able to preach this morning. It's always a little bit strange seeing yourself on video before you um, actually <laughs> preach, but that's the way it worked out this week. So I really trust that you've had a good week. And um, just to set the context for what we're going to do this morning, what I'm going to talk about this morning, remember we're looking at the last week of Jesus' life uh, in the last chapters of Mark. And uh, last week I, I did a, a little reflection for you, three, three views of the cross through the eyes of God and how he viewed the cross and what Jesus did for us. And then through Mary, the lady in the story, and um, there's some debates as to who that Mary of Bethany might be, but most scholars would say that it's probably uh, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, that uh, Jesus raised from the dead and um, that they lived in Bethany and it's most likely that that was the house where she poured out the perfume on Jesus' feet. And uh, so we looked at her view of the cross as well. And then lastly, I had a look at the view of the cross through the eyes of Judas who ultimately betrayed Jesus and uh, how he saw that whole um, thing work out. And so, and so those were the three things that I, I had a look at last week. And, and now, t- this morning, I want to have a look at the Last Supper. And um, that's why we're going to be breaking bread as well at the end of the meeting. And we're going to look at a chunky portion of Scripture, but I've divided it into two sections. And the first section is from verse 12 through to verse 16, which I'm going to read now and make some comments out of that. And then we will look at the last section after that. Um, it simply says, says this, On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, The teacher asks, Where's my guest room where I eat the the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, and make preparations for us there. And so the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. So this is now the last Thursday of Jesus' life, and we've reached this point, and he only has one more day in which uh, in, in, that he's going to be alive. And it's, I've always kind of thought about this portion in, a, in one of two ways. Either Jesus was um, so prepared that he had already made arrangements for the Passover, and he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he had organized that this man who's never identified in any other way other than carrying a jar of water, uh, would meet his disciples and show them to the room where they would meet to, to eat the Passover. So either Jesus organized everything beforehand, or this was a work of the Spirit, where Jesus kind of had asked his Father in heaven, and there's a work of the Spirit here, and God supernaturally put these things together. So the, 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 those are the, um, the two options that we have. But, but at the end of the day, they meet this man, who has prepared this place for them to eat the Passover together. And uh, that's how, what transpires. Jesus does that with his disciples. But what I'd just like to focus on out of this f- f- first po- portion is just to think a little bit about what these preparations were that they, need to, they needed to make. And because they, it's mentioned three times in this, in this portion in verse 12, 15, and 16. What were the preparations that needed to be put in place so that they could eat Passover together? Well, there were, there were a number of things. The first, of, the first was that there was a, a ceremonial search for leaven in the household. 
And this is just simply because if you remember the story in Exodus 12, um, the, the original Passover meal had to be eaten with unleavened bread, which was more like a, a wafer or water biscuit than it was bread. Um, and that was used in the first Passover because it can be baked much more quickly. And I, we remember from the story they were to eat the, the, the Passover meal in haste, so as quickly as possible they could leave Egypt. And so... That's why they used unleavened bread. And in addition to that, leaven for Jewish people uh, symbolized corruption. It symbolized decay um, because, as you know, leaven is a, f is a fermentation of, of um, yeast in the dough. And so that was associated with decay and it was seen as unclean. And so there was the sense of that uh, leaven was also a, a symbol for corruption. So what that meant was that before they broke, Passover, the day before they were going to break Passover, the, the father of the house, the master of the house, would go through the house and in a ceremonial way search for any leaven in the house. And as he did that, he would pray a number of said prayers. And that was part of the preparation for Passover. Uh, the second thing that needed to happen before the meal was um, uh, eaten together, obviously, was that the lamb needed to be sacrificed. And so in Jerusalem, with all the pilgrims that went to Jerusalem, and remember I had a look at you with the, uh, how big the temple was. It really was a massive, massive construction. Well, these millions of people, and they, they do think that there were millions of people that would go on pilgrimage. They would go, each worshiper would take the lamb, their, their own lamb to the temple, and would slay his own lamb. In that sense, would make his own sacrifice. And then in the courtyard of this massive temple, there were lines of priests. And what they would do is they would pass the blood in bowls, silver and gold bowls, along the line from each animal that was sacrificed to the high priest at the end, who would then take all of the blood and throw it onto the altar. That's what his role was. And so the, after that, uh, the carcass would then be given back to the worshiper and butchered, etc., and they would take it home to eat it. Now, it's very interesting to me because Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, said that uh, over any given Passover, about 250,000 lambs were slaughtered. 250,000 lambs. I, I don't know if you, uh, I, I found it really hard to even contemplate what that might look like, but the temple would have been absolutely full of blood and the altar would have been drenched in blood if, if, if those figures are to be believed. Um, and so it, it, was, it really was an incredible sense of, of sacrifice that uh, symbolized sins being taken away. And then obviously the lamb was taken home and roasted. Uh, there were specific instructions how to roast the lamb over spit and with pomegranate wood and, and a whole lot of requirements. So that was the other thing that had to happen before the Passover meal. And then thirdly, there were specific elements of the meal that need to be prepared. So I've spoken about the lamb, which was the first aspect of the meal. And, and um, that reminded them, obviously, of the protection of the blood uh, in the story of Exodus over the doorposts. So the lamb symbolized the protection of the blood. Secondly, the unleavened bread, which I spoke about, reminded them of the bread that needed to be eaten in haste as they were to escape from slavery. And then the third element of the, of the meal was a bowl of salt water, which was part of the meal. And that was to remind them of the tears that they had shed in Egypt and the waters of the sea that had been parted through which they had passed safely. Uh, whether that was the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, we don't know, but... But that's symbolized by this bowl of salt water, which was part of the meal. Uh, 
Uh, fourth, there was a collection of bitter herbs. And so they would have things like horseradish, chicory, endive, uh, lettuce. These things were eaten with the meal as a reminder of the bitterness of slavery that they were under in Egypt. That was the fourth element. And the fifth element of the meal, there was a paste called charisteth. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But this paste was a mixture of apples and dates and pomegranates and nuts, which were all mashed together to remind them of the clay that was used to make the bricks. And in addition to that, they had little uh, sticks of cinnamon that were stuck into the paste to remind them of the straw with which the bricks had to be made as well. That's the fifth element of this Passover meal. And then lastly, there were four cups of wine that were drunk during various stages of the Passover meal. And each of these cups of wine was associated with one of the promises that God had made to his people in Exodus chapter 6. And I'm going to read it to you. It's just uh, two verses. And in these two verses, there are four promises. And as <clears throat> they read the promise, they would drink uh, one of uh, the cups of wine alongside making prayers as well uh, as part of the Passover meal. And these were the four promises. Exodus 6, verse 6. Say therefore to the people Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So there's the first promise of God. I'm going to bring you out of the burden that you've been under. Secondly, I will deliver you from slavery. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great act of judgment. There's the second, the second promise for God's people, that they would be set free from slavery, redeemed by him with a, his outstretched arm. And verse 7 is the third promise. I will take you to be my people. And so there's this promise from God that these people would become his, his alone, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God has brought you out from under the burden of of the Egyptians. So then we have the, the promises of God that were associated with these four cups of wine. And as they reflected on that as part of the meal, they would drink together a cup of wine uh, with prayers. And so those were the preparations that needed to be made for the Passover meal to be eaten with, by God's people. And this great uh, festival spoke to them of the deliverance that God had liberated them from, uh, from their bondage in slavery in Egypt. And so it's on this great feast that Jesus, um, who's about to liberate the world, who's about to liberate every single person from the burden of sin, he sat, sits down with his disciples to eat this meal with him. And then he says these words in verse 17. We're going to read further. It says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were all saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as, it, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not ever been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. 
This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As I was thinking about this week um, and preparing this message, I was just once again struck by this initial thought that it's remarkable to me that even at this late stage of his life, Jesus is still showing such great love to Judas. I don't know if you noticed that in the story, but um, in verse 18, where Jesus is um, really speaking about his betrayal, he is really, in effect, he's giving Judas one more chance. He's really giving Judas a chance to stop and to think and not to do what he's planning to do. He's giving him one last chance to change. And I say that because if you notice, he, he, he knows Judas is going to betray him, but he never mentions him by name. He just says, one of you is going to be, betray me. And so even in this moment of betrayal, he's showing Judas incredible kindness in not identifying him as the betrayer. And it's interesting to me that the, the other disciples don't seem to suspect Judas either. Because you notice in the story they say, is it me? And it says one by one, they go around saying, surely it's not me, Lord. Surely you, I'm not the one who's going to betray you. So they don't really even suspect Judas either. It, uh, they, they're kind of thinking more about their, their own lives. And as Jesus shows Judas this amazing love, at the same time, he emphasizes this absolute seriousness of what's going to be happen. And in verse 21, he says, it's better for that person who betrays me that he'd never even been born. And so Jesus has this amazing ability to, to uh, even show mercy and give opportunity for, for Judas right at the last moment to, to change. Um, and then they eat together. And we know this portion of the story well because obviously this is what we use as we break bread together um, as part of our, our worship as Christians. And it just says again, uh, a number of times I was struck uh, how, how many times it says Jesus gave thanks. And it says again here, after giving thanks, he takes these symbols of his coming death, uh, the bread, which is the symbol of his dying body, and the wine, which is the new covenant the symbol of the blood atonement of the new covenant that he is initiating. And so just to remind ourselves, and I know you know this, but let me remind you again, the breaking of the bread uh, shows the suffering of Jesus, and the wine shows that his blood is poured out for the many. And it's interesting to me there, the Hebrew uses this word, the many, and that's a very simple thing because in the Hebrew language, there's not a word for everybody. There's not a word for everyone. So the way that you would say that in Hebrew is for the many for inclusive of, of all. And so really, we are seeing here that Jesus is saying, I've, I've died for everyone. Uh, the, the, my blood and my body are broken for the many, for everybody, every single person. And then as we think about the meal together, this sense of the language of eating and drinking together stands for, uh, symbolizes our need to persistently put our trust, to have ongoing persistent faith that we are to place in the atoning blood of Jesus. And we get our life, we get our energy, we get our, our, um, uh, all of our lives from the fact of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's the idea. That's why the language is used, is that we eat and we drink of Jesus. The idea is the sustenance that we get. 
for our lives. The faith that we need is all due to the cross and what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection. And so it's interesting to me here that in Mark's gospel, there's no instruction for us to repeat the meal and to celebrate it. Um, if you know, remember Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel says that in verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 19. It says, uh, part of Luke's account, he says, eat and drink in remembrance of me, that there's an institution of the Lord's Supper that we are to celebrate as Christians. But here in Mark's gospel, there's no mention of that. And it seems to me that Mark is not asking us to think about the Lord's Supper as an institution or as a meal that we are to celebrate together, but he's rather just trying to get us to think about the cross and exactly what the cross has done for us. And so I'd like to do that this morning, just to reflect a little bit on the cross and what the cross shows us, what this Passover meal means as we think about it. And these are are five simple little things that I would invite you to think about uh, as we prepare to break bread together this morning. And the first is simply this, that the cross invites our gratitude. Uh, Jesus began the meal by giving thanks. Throughout the meal, he gave thanks for each element of the meal. And how much more shouldn't we give thanks and not be thankful for what the cross of Jesus has done for us. The cross is uh, the meal, the Passover meal, and the cross is the invitation for us to be grateful. Um, if Mary was this, the, if in, in the story that we looked at last week, Mary, um, the sister of, of Lazarus, you can understand her gratitude as she came to pour out her thanks to Jesus with the perfume because of all that he had done for her and her family. She was overwhelmed with a sense of worship and gratitude. And in the same way, when we reflect on our own lives and all that God has done for us, surely the appropriate, the appropriate attitude of a heart is just to simply give thanks to God and to pour out our love for all that he's done. The cross invites our gratitude. That's the first thing. Secondly, it just shows us in a very practical way that Jesus did carry our sins on his body. And there's something about the atoning death of, of Jesus that is quite literal. Uh, in some way, our sins were literally laid upon him. I don't know how that happens, but that's really what the scripture is saying. That our sins literally were laid upon his body, and he took our sins upon himself in a literal way. And that's what 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says. He says, Peter says, he himself bore our sins on his body, in his body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. And so there again, Peter, in a very direct way, speaking about the literal uh, bearing of our sin upon his body by Jesus as he carried our sins upon himself upon the cross. So the cross invites our gratitude and to, to show a life of thankfulness. It shows us in a very practical, practical way that Jesus carried our sin on his body, in his body. And thirdly, the, the, the death of Jesus was a blood sacrifice. Uh, we know that the, obviously wine is red, but that, that literally speaks of the shedding of blood, just like one of the Old Testament sacrifices or the lambs at the Passover slaughter. And I've already pointed out to you just how graphically that must have looked, been played out at the temple with all of those animals um, being sacrificed. Fourthly, Jesus begins 
a new covenant with his blood. Uh, and here's the thing about covenants. Covenants were uh, initiated by sacrifice uh, in the Old Testament. And the covenant was a relationship in which promises were given by both parties. And as if the promises weren't enough, there was an oath sweared that the promises would be fulfilled. So to make them absolutely sure and certain. And so here Jesus says, this is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. And so what he's saying is that he's putting in place a relationship between us and him that is fixed. And this is the amazing thing and for, 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 um, for myself, just personally this week as I was preparing. This is, this is really what God uh, spoke most of all into my heart uh, as I was preparing this message. Um, this is, this is the, the, the relationship that we have with Jesus that is fixed and that is initiated by his blood. He asks us to live a life of persistent faith in him. That's our part. We to put all of our trust in him and his blood and all that his blood has done for us. And this is, this is his promise to us. He swears an oath, and this is what I was amazed with again. He swears an oath that as we live by faith, he will bless us. He swears by himself that he will bless us. I don't know if you've thought about that, and I was just reflecting about that on that this week. What an incredible thought that is, is that God is, that the scripture is saying that Jesus, the Son of God, swears by God his Father and swears himself that if we live by persistent faith in him, he will bless us. Wow. He will bless us in the midst of COVID. He will bless us with the future. He will bless us with a hope. He will bless us. And I'm not talking about a, a get-rich kind of prosperity kind of message when I say that. I am saying this, though, that in all of our lives, over the course of our whole lives, God's promise to us, which he swears and makes an oath about, is that if we live by faith and put our trust in him, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, he will bless us in every way that we need for, to live our lives. What an incredible promise. And that's all initiated by the blood of Jesus in the new covenant that he institutes through his death and his resurrection. So just to remind you, uh, all of this takes place by the blood of Jesus. It's by the blood of Jesus that we first find forgiveness. It's by the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed daily. And it's by our persistent faith in the blood of Jesus that we live consistently for God. And as we do that, he says, I swear I will bless you. Wow. What an amazing, amazing promise. And fifth, um, Jesus, in his death involved great suffering. We know that. And that's why the bread is broken. It's a symbol of brokenness, of suffering. Uh, and the great promise in the Old Testament of Messiah is that not one body, not one bone in his body would be broken. And we know that's true in the crucifixion, that none of his, his bones were broken. But his, there was an inward brokenness that came into the life of Jesus because of the sufferings that he went through. He suffered disgrace and ridicule and loneliness and shame and pain. And worst of all, uh, we sang about it this morning in our, in our worship time, his father looked away from him on that moment that he was on the cross. And he suffered all of those things. And that's why the scripture says that Jesus in every way is identified with the sufferings that you and I will go through in our lives. So all of us, at some point, suffer disgrace and ridicule. Uh, 
and loneliness and pain and shame and knowing unforgiveness where people uh, withhold forgiveness from us and we have to live under that in our lives. And yet Jesus identifies with every single one of those things through his suffering on the cross. And so he knows us. He knows us completely and he knows exactly what we live through. And then, second lastly, it says um, the, the cross shows us that Jesus, his death benefits the entire human race. It was for the many that he died. I've said this already. His death took place for every single person. And everyone is invited to respond to Jesus and put their faith in what he has done for them. And lastly, I just want to land on this just to remind you again that we're, we're all asked to live by persistent faith in the blood of Christ. And that's why this language is there. We eat of Jesus' body and we drink of his blood. And it's interesting to me as I was reading some church history um, in the last couple of years that one of the accusations that uh, was brought by the Romans against early Christians is that they were cannibals because they heard this language that Christians ate of the body of Jesus and drank the, the blood of Jesus, and they immediately associated it with cannibalism. But obviously, it's, it's not that at all. It's this picture that we have uh, presented with uh, that our life, our persistent, ongoing life, is sustained by what Christ has done for us. Our confidence, our energy is because of a never-ending trust that we place in the blood of Jesus and all that it's done for us. So my encouragement to you this morning as I, as I finish now is, is when we pray, when we sin, when we are weary, when we are feeling that we are suffering, in all and every situation in our lives, the invitation of God is in, the, in, in those moments is to put our trust and our faith once again in Jesus and to remind ourselves that we are in covenant with him and he is in covenant with us because of his atoning blood, the initiation of this sacrifice, this blood sacrifice. And in that, he swears that in the midst of all of what we go through in our lives, he will bless us as we put our trust in him. What an incredible, incredible thought.